This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join in in welcoming everybody here this morning. Glad that you could be with us today. And I want to say, appreciate the the song service that was selected this morning. The, The songs are going to go really well with what we're going to talk about today. I also appreciate the prayers on my behalf, and it's my prayer that the things that we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word. It will also be useful to you and will be beneficial as we all continue our Christian walk together. And for a little while this morning, I want to talk about fulfilling your role in the Great Commission. Of course, we've talked about the Great Commission before, and we're going to recap what the Great Commission is, why it's important for us today, and more specifically, I want us to each look at it from an individual perspective, what is our individual role in that great commission and how can we make sure we're fulfilling it so we can be pleasing unto God so we can be growing the kingdom so we can be saving souls we can be helping people so for a little while let's first look at what the great commission is it's taught in three different places we're going to look in Matthew chapter 28 to begin Matthew 28 and verse 18 it says and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So here is Matthew's uh, recalling of Jesus giving the Great Commission. Let's look over in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he, talking about Jesus, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Now let's look at Luke's account. Luke chapter 24, beginning of verse 45. says, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power on high. So when we look at all three of these records, I've kind of compiled them here that we can see what they're teaching us, and each one is to go teach all nations to believe and to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things that Christ commanded so that they can have salvation. So this is what we refer to as the Great Commission. Now, the setting of this time, this was after Christ was resurrected from the dead. So he had already been crucified. He already lived his life and his ministry. He was crucified. He was buried for three days, and then he was resurrected. After all that, this is after he was resurrected, this is when Jesus taught this Great Commission to us. This is when he was telling us what to do. We can see that. Looking back at Mark chapter 16 and verse 6, it says, And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, and he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And go down to verse 14. It says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So right after that is when we see the, the Mark's account of the Great Commission. So Jesus had already been risen from the dead. This was, was the setting of that time. Now before 
with the Great Commission, Jesus gave us another commission that we typically refer to as the Limited Commission. So before Jesus was uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, He gave another commission to the apostles at that time, what we call the Limited Commission. That's in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and then into the city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the, the commission that Jesus taught before His death. And we refer to it as the limited commission. And it's limited in a few different ways. It's First off, it's limited in audience because these apostles were only supposed to go to the Israelites. They were not supposed to go to the Gentiles. They were not supposed to go to the Samaritans. It was only to the Israelites, to the Jews, that they were supposed to go to. It's also limited in scope because it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom wasn't here yet. That, that phrase, at hand, means it's near. It's coming soon. But it's not here yet. And remember, this is before Jesus' death. They didn't have the whole picture yet. And the third way is it's, it's limited in duration. This commission was going to end. The limited commission was going to end. And it ended when Jesus gave the great commission, which was to go to all nations preach that the kingdom is here, baptize them into the kingdom, and teach them to observe all things. That's when it was the limited commission ended, was when the great commission was given to us. So when we look at this great commission, let's break down what it's really telling us here. If we look back at Matthew's account in Matthew 28, Jesus taught us to teach all nations. That word teach in the Strong's, it means to enroll as a scholar, to instruct, or to teach. If you look at that in the, in the Thayer's Dictionary, it means to make a disciple, to teach, or to instruct. It's just what we think it is. When Jesus tells us to go teach all nations, it's to go teach them, just as we would use the word. He also tells us to go baptize them. That word baptize, it, it's a Greek word, baptizo, which means to immerse. It's to immerse in water. And He tells us to do that in the name of, and when you look up that phrase in the name, it means with the authority of. So Jesus is telling us to go teach them, to baptize them, to immerse them with the authority and in the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what He's really teaching us here. But that's not all the Great Commission. He also tells us another step, which He tells us to teach them to observe all things that Jesus has commanded us. That, that phrase, observe, means to attend to carefully, to take care of. Make sure we're really paying attention and doing the things that Jesus has taught us to do. So these are the things that, that Christ has given us and He's taught us to do. And when we look at that to observe all things whatsoever He's commanded, He's given us all the instruction that we need. And we see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, where it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have attained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us, and, uh, called us to glory and to virtue. When Jesus tells us to observe all things He's given us, He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all the answers. He's given us all the instruction. He's given us all the wisdom that we need. And it's our role to teach people to follow those commandments for their own benefit so that they would follow after Him more closely. So when we look at this Great Commission, we can see it's really broken down into two major parts. 
These two major parts that Jesus is telling us in the Great Commission is, number one, teach all nations to baptize them. We teach them in order to baptize them so that they can have remission of sins. The second thing is teach them to obey Christ's commandments. So for the rest of this study, I want to look at how do we as individual Christians, how do we fulfill this role? How do we fulfill the role of teaching all nations to baptize them? And how do we fulfill the role of teaching them to obey Christ's commandments? When we look at first, we're going to look at how do we fulfill the role of, of teaching people to baptize them into Christ. You know, a lot of times we may think that people don't want to listen. We may think that people who even identify as non-Christians or atheists or people of no faith, however you want to classify them, we think about those people that they don't want to have conversations about Christ. And quite frankly, that's just not true. There's a recent study that I came across that we can see here. This is the connection between people of no faith and Christians. So what this survey did is it asked people who identified as no faith. They're not a Christian. They may consider themselves atheists, that they don't have any faith. It says that 65% of them, they know someone who claims to be a follower of Christ. 65%. And also 45% of the group says that they have had conversations with those Christians about their faith. And frankly, they're willing to have conversations in the right context and in the right setting. The survey goes on to say, what are people looking for when they're having these conversations? So the next graph we'll see, you can see across the top, it says, imagine a Christian that you would be interested in learning from. Which of the following characteristics would you use to describe them? So this is their ideal Christian that they want to learn from. So you can see some of these characteristics. Now remember, this is people that they identify themselves as no faith. They're not Christians. They don't go to church. They may not believe on anything. But this is who we're talking about here. The very top one, 39% of them said that they would want a characteristic of someone who listens without judgment. Think about that. They listen without judgment. The next one is they're honest about their doubts. They want Christians to be just honest with them and open. As a Christian, do you ever have doubts? I do. Do you ever have questions? I do. People of no faith, they want you to just be honest about that. They don't want someone coming in and thinking that they have all the answers or all the right things. They know everything and, and what this person should do. They don't want that. They just want someone honest. The next one, 31%, they want someone that's not going to force a conclusion. You're not trying to persuade them to follow any type of agenda or something that you want them to do. They just want someone to listen to them, be honest with them, don't force a conclusion, and they want somebody, that 30% there, that cares about them as a person. They just want someone to care about them. The next one is they want someone to allow themselves to draw their own conclusions. I think you're kind of starting to see a theme here, aren't you, of what they're really wanting. They just want someone to be honest. They want somebody to be open with them. They want someone to care about them. They don't want to be forced into some conclusion that the Christian wants them to do. That, the next one there is they, they want someone that's interested in them even if they're not a Christian. That goes back to what we just said. They just want them to be interested in them as a person. Number 20, the 26%, they want someone who understands them. The next one, the 25%, they want someone who has experienced struggles. They're not looking to have conversations with the quote-unquote perfect Christian. They want to talk to real people. We're all real people. We all have struggles. They want to know that. They want to have conversations about that. 
The 22%, it says they want someone who is aware of the inconsistencies in their own perspectives. Have you ever had a, a moment where you've changed your belief or you've changed your thought about something in the scriptures? I'm sure we all have. We've all been corrected over time. We've all thought about these things. They want you to, to recognize that and be okay with that. And then the, finally, the last one is they want someone that demonstrates interest in the other person's story or their life. Same thing we've been talking about. They want someone truly and genuinely interested about them as a person, what they're interested in. They want to have open conversations. They want to have honest conversations. They don't want to be persuaded to follow some agenda or to draw some conclusion. They just want to talk. And they want to be left alone to, to come up with their own beliefs and their own thoughts. So when we see this, we see this survey, we can look at it and we can draw some conclusions from it. We can see like this is what the general public wants. Now, remember, this is people who identify of no faith. This would be like the atheists or people that they don't go anywhere. They just they have no faith at all. Imagine what people who identify as Christians. They're probably even much more willing to talk about Christ, don't you think? So the, the truth is that people want to have conversations about Christ. They just want it in the right setting and in the right context. And it reminds me, all these characteristics that these people say that they're looking for in the ideal Christian to have conversations with, it reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. It says that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance, to the acknowledging of the truth. This is what Paul said we need to be like anyways, as Christians, that we come with meekness, gentleness, patience. We're instructing them, we're helping them, but we're not pushing them. We're truly, genuinely interested in them as a person. So what we can learn from this study is that people are willing to talk about Christ. The second thing is it's not as complicated as we think. Like, just be a human and talk to people as humans. The third thing is, for the most part, people want to do what they believe is right. I think you can talk to most people out there, and people want to do what they think is right. Now, what they think is right might not be right, but they want to do what they think is right. Number four, be genuinely interested in them as a person. Spend time with them. Get to know them. Build these relationships with them. And number five, don't try to force an agenda. Just show them what the truth says in meekness, with patience, and let them come up with their own conclusion. So we can learn a lot from these studies, and there's a lot of things that we can do. And the reason I'll say that I came up with this lesson, and what I was thinking about when I was putting a lesson together, is we can talk about evangelism, we can talk about bringing people to Christ, we can talk about saving souls, and sometimes people will do it, and sometimes, frankly, people won't do it. And I think one of the reasons why people won't do it, or they're, maybe they're afraid to do it, or they don't have confidence to do it, is because they've never really seen it done effectively yet. In my job, I'm in sales and I teach sales. I have a team of people that work with me and I, I coach other people and I teach them how to have conversations. I teach them how to make sales. And one of the things that we do is we look at what conversations look like. We, we talk about what questions to ask, how to come up with responses. We talk about what's called objection handlers. If someone gives you an objection, of why they're not going to agree with you, how you can handle that. We, we talk about all these things. At the end of the day, we practice conversations a lot. We practice sales a lot. And when we're thinking about teaching people to baptize them in the name of Christ, in essence, it is sales. You're persuading them. 
you're leading them to draw their own conclusion of what's best for them, which is to be baptized into Christ. So one thing we can look at is some real-life examples of how do these conversations actually happen. Not necessarily how you study with people and how you get them to be baptized, but how do you start the conversation? So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three different examples. And I can look around the room this morning and I can look at people that I know all across the kingdom that they were not what we would call, say, raised in the church. There are some families where kids are raised in the church. They've been in, in the church their whole life and they've kind of grown up and learned it. There are several other people who were not that way. They were raised in some other faith or raised in no faith. And someone was willing to have a conversation with them and bring them in. And we're going to look at a few of those examples of how those conversations happen. The first conversation we're going to look at, and the first example is the Martin family. We have Jared and Caroline, and I met them a few years ago, I think about five years ago. And the story at that time, what was really going on is we worked together in real estate. We were both at a real estate office, and I was teaching a class that he was in, and he stayed, and we just had a conversation after. And we were talking at that time, and Jared mentioned to me that he was engaged. Now, he mentioned to me that he was engaged. One thing that that's, we need to learn there is there's these life events that happen with people that are kind of big trigger life events. Being engaged is one of them. We're about to get married. Sometimes divorce or death or having kids. There's all these like, big life events that happen, and you can use those as an opportunity to turn the conversation spiritual. So here's how that conversation went, to the best of my recollection. I just asked the question, where do you go to church? You're engaged, where are you and your future bride going to go to church at? And his response is, well, we've been checking out some new places. They've been kind of looking around and going with some friends and looking at some different things. One thing that he mentioned, I don't remember all the details of the conversation, but one thing that I know he mentioned was that he was reading the Bible and he was trying to understand, but he just didn't really understand how it all connected. Now, I think several of us have been there before in the past, that we have read stories in the Bible, or maybe we were grown up and we've been taught these stories, but we never really knew how they all connected or how they really apply to us today. So here's what I remember that I said, is that we have a study that covers the Bible from cover to cover. And it shows you how all these stories connect and how it applies to us today. Would you be interested in going through that study? Now, that study that I was referring to is what we call the five-part study. That's kind of my go-to line, so to speak, to see if, if someone's interested. Is we have a study that covers the Bible from cover to cover and shows you how everything connects. Would you be interested in going through that? Most of the time, people are because they've never read the Bible like that. They've never been taught the Bible of how everything interconnects. Usually we just talk about like bits and pieces out of the Bible. So that, that was my go-to line. His response was absolutely. So we got together and we did the five-part study and we went through with, with him and Caroline and this was before they got married. And what I want you to hear in this is not anything to do with me or anything really to do with what I said, but I want you to really understand that there's people out there that they're studying the Bible, they're reading, and they need someone to guide them. And it reminds me of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. It says, where Philip ran thither at him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. That's the, the view and that's the image of when I think of Jared and Caroline, that's where I see them is that they were just like the eunuch. 
of that they were trying to understand and they just needed someone to guide them. And there's several other people out there today that they are trying to read, they're trying to understand, they just need a little bit of guidance and a little bit of help. And that's what they did. That's what we got them, we were able to help them. So we did the five-part study, and I think it was probably a week, maybe a week and a half after the very first conversation that we had about this, and both of them submitted their life to Christ in baptism. Now we look at them a few years later, and we see that they have two children, we see that they are now talking to people outside and their family and their friends and their peers. And we see people that they are having a positive impact on. And we see that how they are being that light to the world that they've called to be. And it started from just that one simple conversation back a few years ago. So that's one example that we can see. We have another example that's a little bit more recent. And that's a couple by the name of Ricky and Candace. Now, Ricky is an HVAC technician, and he, worked, he was working on a job site with Keith. Keith was working, and he was having conversations with Ricky. And here's how the conversation went. I, I talked to Keith about this, and we, he kind of recalled the conversation to me. And here's kind of how it went. The first question that Keith asked him, this was after he had built a little bit of a relationship with him. He was working with him. So he asked him at one time, how's your relationship with God? Ricky's response was, oh, it's pretty good, I guess. Then Keith asked another great question. Well, what makes it pretty good? That's, that's what we would refer to in the sales industry as a digging question. Just take that question and ask it one step deeper. So that's what Keith did. What makes it pretty good? Ricky's response, well, a while back I asked Jesus into my heart. Okay, so from Ricky's perspective, his relationship with God is good because he, a long time ago he had asked Jesus into his heart. Here's Keith's response. So, well, bro... I've been reading the Bible quite a while, and I can't find anything about asking Jesus into your heart. I have read some other things in there, if you're interested in hearing it. It's very simple, very non-abrasive, just very casual approach. If you're interested in seeing what the Bible says, Ricky's response, yeah, I'm willing to listen to it. Here's one thing you can identify really quickly. When you ask questions like that, and Ricky's response is, yeah, I'm willing to listen to it. Ricky has an open heart. Ricky wants to do what's right. So Keith was able to present this question, and Ricky's response told Keith immediately, this guy really wants to be pleasing to God, and this guy wants to know what he's doing is right. Let's continue on. So then Keith said, would you be open to staying after work so we can look at it together? You know, I'm sure there's several other things that both Ricky and Keith could have done after work that day. But what we see is that Keith recognized the importance of getting together immediately and studying the Word of God. And Ricky was willing to do that. And there's more people like Ricky. We can see that his response is, yeah, I'll do that. So what they did was they stayed after work. They completed their job, they stayed after work, and then they went to Keith's truck and on the hood of his truck opened the Bible and they looked at it together. And I asked Keith, like, what was the very first scripture you turned to in the Bible? And it's a scripture we talk about all the time, Acts 2.38. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is when Peter gave the very first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he tells the people exactly what that they need to do in order to have remission of sins. It's very clear, very instructions. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you will have remission of sins and you'll have the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is what Keith did. And with further instructions, with further teaching, we can see that Ricky was open. 
He was willing to listen. We can see these questions that were asked and Ricky's response. And that led him to just shortly after that, here's Keith baptizing Ricky and here's Keith baptizing Candace. So the conversation is really not that complicated. It's just asking questions. Now, how did, that question, how did the conversation start? It was with the question, how's your relationship with God? It doesn't have to be super complicated, but it can have a great, great impact. Now, the third example we're going to look at is many people, many of you have met this family, and it's the Ford family. Now, we see that the Fords here, and we see that where they came from is they, they've found us basically online. We have online scriptures that we, we share our sermons, and they go out to many different uh, places where you can share with people, and he found it. And about a year ago, he sent this message to us. He sent this message on Facebook, and here's, here's what he said. He said, I have a question for Pat Manning. I've been watching and listening to your lessons on YouTube and Spotify, and I've found errors in what I've been taught my whole life regarding the Scripture. I was brought up in the missionary Baptist churches, and I've always been taught a version of premillennialism. I was also taught closed communion, and I'm wondering if you've done any lessons on communion. It's still one thing that I don't fully understand. If you have time, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. This is the message that we got, and it was last January when we first got that. Now, this came because we were putting those sermons online. We were putting the messages out there. Of course, we do the, the live streams with Pat every Wednesday, and those go out on YouTube and Facebook. We do all of our sermons. This sermon right here is going to be on different podcasts. And that's how he found us. Now, he was in Idaho. Not a single one of us had any connection with him up in Idaho. There's no personal connection. He found us. And what you can see from this first question, this, this very first message he asked, you can see an open heart. And you can see someone who's honest. One of the very first things he said is, I've found errors that I've been taught my whole life. Some of us have gone through that. Some of us have been taught something wrong growing up, and we've found those errors. And that's not an easy thing to admit. But when someone does admit that, you can tell immediately that's open. And that's honest. That's someone who wants to please God. So time goes on. We, we were studying with these people. We were helping them. We were just encouraging them, sending them more videos, doing what we can. And then shortly after, they came to visit us. I believe in September was their first time that they visited us. So they moved from Idaho down to Florida. And they came through here in order to visit us. So they took time out of their schedule in order to come see us because of how impactful those lessons and those sermons have been for them. Then it was shortly after that, in November, that they came back up here and that they were baptized into Christ. So there you can see Justin, Erica, and their eldest daughter that were all baptized into Christ, and that was in November. Now remember, all of this started because they found us. They found us online. They were starting to listen to us on Spotify. So I'm looking at just different places that we share our, share our sermons, that we share the videos, like all the effort that goes into that. And I'm just curious, how many more people are out there like Justin that they're looking and they're looking for answers and that they will find us? And frankly, all we've got to do is keep sharing. Just keep sharing the message. Keep getting that out there. So I wonder how many more people we could find or that could find us if every single one of us would share these lessons on social media, 
share them to your group, share them to people that you work with. Just get, get the message out there and let the message do the work for you. It doesn't have to be as complicated. We can see from these few examples that we've looked at that a conversation was started somehow, usually very simply. It's usually a question that was asked or a question that was brought to us. It's a very simple question. As time goes on and people are convicted and they want to obey God and they want to do things that right, we can see that family trees get changed forever. We can look at the Martins. We can look at Ricky and Candace. We can look at the Fords. And now we can think about, let's project in the future a little bit. What are those family trees going to be like in future generations? Now they're going to be serving God the way God wants them to be. And it started with a simple conversation, just a simple question. So if we break down the anatomy of these conversations, is during a conversation, look for an opportunity to turn it spiritual. You're having conversations all day, every day with people, right? Just look for an opportunity to turn it spiritual. It could be as simple as the question that I asked, where do you go to church? Or it could be as simple as the question, how's your relationship with God? It doesn't have to be super profound or super, you don't have to know all the answers. You just start with the question. Number two, make sure you start with an open-ended question. An open-ended question is any question that doesn't get a response that's either a yes or no. That's a closed-ended question. So it's where do you go to church or how is your relationship with God? Those are open-ended questions. Number three, use digging questions in order to understand those motivations. A digging question is simply just a follow-up question. It's a question after they answer your first question. Keep asking more questions. Number four, this is a big one, seek first to understand their point of view. There's a quote that we, we hear in sales all the time, which is seek first to understand, then to be understood. See where they're at. See where they're at in their life. What background do they have? What have they been taught? Try to figure out where they're at, then you can help them move forward. And that's number five, is gently show them that there may be a better way. Whatever their motivation is, if their motivation is to please God, which all three of these examples we looked at, their motivation is to do what's right and to please God. You can gently show them there may be a better way to do that than the way that you've currently been going. Number six, offer to study God's Word in a non-confrontational manner. Would it be helpful for you if we studied God's Word? Would you be interested in doing this in a non-confrontational manner? Number seven, study with them or introduce them to someone very quickly. When the opportunity is there, seize it. Jump on that opportunity because it's important. It's important for them and it's going to help them. So study with them quickly. If you're not capable or not, not equipped to do the study, get them with someone who is. There's several people here and there's several people all across the kingdom that we can do those studies. We can work with them. We can help them. Get them with someone quickly. So as we look at how we fulfill this role of teaching people to baptize them, right now we're coming up on a new year. It's about to be 2024. And a lot of times we'll come up with, with New Year's resolutions. We'll come up with goals. We'll come up with these different things. And I want you to think about from a spiritualist perspective and as a Christian, your role is to teach people to be, to, so that they'll be baptized into Christ. So I want you to think for just a little bit, what is a spiritual goal you could put into practice in 2024? How many of these conversations could you have? I don't want you to put a number on how many baptisms you can have or how many people you can lead to Christ. Leave that up to them. Your job is to teach them. How many conversations can you have? So think about that for your 2024 goals. 
Now, the second thing we look at is the Great Commission doesn't end there with baptism. The second thing we need to look at is how do we fulfill the role of teaching people to obey God's commandments? Obeying God's commandments is equally as important to helping them be baptized. We must help them continue to grow. Part of helping people grow is to help people keep going back to God's Word, keep learning from God's Word, keep applying it to their lives to the best of their ability. Help these souls continue to grow in God's Word. We look at that of how we can help people is part of it is we would be influential. We influence them to help them. If we look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt had lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all of them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Part of helping people grow in Christ is leading by example and letting your light shine, doing what you're supposed to do so other people will follow. Now, what another study that I looked at is we see people that some identify as Christians, some don't identify as Christians, but we see them, their willingness to look for a new place to worship or look for something different. And here's a study I came across. It may be a little bit hard to see, but it, it says that roughly 50% of people that were in this study have looked for a new congregation. They've looked for a new place to worship. Now, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why, but one of the main reasons why is because they moved. That's 34% of them. 34% of people looked for a new congregation because they moved. Now, we're very blessed here in northwest Arkansas that our area is growing tremendously. On average, there's roughly 30 people a day moving into our area. And we chose the location that we're in because it's a very central location for all of northwest Arkansas. It's very easy to get to, which we can look at more of this study, that people were looking for that. They were looking for places that are easy to go to, looking easy for them to find. Um, and 34% of people look for a new congregation because they move in. So we can get people, we're, we're going to have visitors come in into this assembly. We have before, and we're going to continue to have more. The more that we can go out and be that light to the world, we're going to attract more people to come to our assembly. Now, when we do, it's helpful to know what are they looking for. In this study, it shows what they're looking for. It says 83% of them, they're looking for the quality of sermons. They want it to be impactful for them. They want it to, the quality of sermons to be helpful. Now, when we're coming up with who stands up here and who gives the sermons, we're, we're pretty strict on who we allow and, and outside visitors that we bring in for this very reason. And we want people to be fed a good quality sermon. The second thing, which I thought was interesting, just shy of that, 79%, is they want to feel welcomed. Now, I'll say in our congregation, that's probably one of the best compliments that we get for most visitors, whether they're in the church or out of the church is typically, for the most part, when people come here, they feel welcomed. And I want to commend you on that. And I want to commend you for helping people feel welcomed. That's a great quality to have. That's what people want, 79%. They want to feel welcomed when they come into the assembly. And I want to make sure that we always keep that in perspective, that we always make people feel welcomed. We look for visitors. We look for people. Look for ways that we can make them feel welcome. It kind of goes back to the earlier study that we looked at of what do people want in conversations. They want someone that's generally interested in them as a person. 
That's an easy way to make someone feel welcome, is just be interested in them. But make sure sometimes people need a little bit of space. So make sure you're not jumping all over them or asking too many questions or feels like an interrogation. So sometimes give a little people space. So all that to say is just be real with people, right? When people come in, spend time with them, hang out with them. If you get a sense that they want you to back off a little bit, back off a little bit. It's okay. Just give people a little bit of space and help them. But we can see this is what people are wanting. 50% of people have looked for a new congregation and when they're looking for a new congregation, they're looking for the quality of sermons, and they're looking to feel welcome. Now, one thing we need to make sure we're doing is constantly creating a warm and welcoming environment for everybody. Even people who may look, may think, and they may act a little bit different than us. We still create a warm and welcoming environment for them. Reminds me in James chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, My brethren, have not, faith, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a man, a poor, a poor man, in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And you say to the poor, Stand thou there, or go sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and have become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not, the God, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. You know, as our area continues to grow, we're going to get people that come into our assembly that they're a little different than us. They look a little different. They act a little different. They talk a little different. They've got different backgrounds. They were raised a little different. And that's okay. Our role is to make sure we're not being a respecter of persons. We treat them the same. We welcome them with a warm and loving environment. We get to know them. And we help them grow however we can. We be interested in them as a person. Another thing that we can do is invite them for a meal. You know, I heard something a long time ago when I was a first Christian that you really get to know someone when you share a meal with them, especially in your own home, that you can really get to know someone. It's just really being hospitable. If we look in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, it says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Hospitality is an incredible tool. It's an incredible tool to build relationships with people. All of this that we're talking about so far is building relationships, building influence, building a way that you can teach people to follow God's commandments more closely. We're going to get to that here in a minute. And hospitality is an incredible tool that you can use. One thing that we've learned over time, both Shannon and I, is that when we have someone over to our house, especially if we have someone over for the first time, we're getting to know them, we're trying to understand them a little bit better, we're trying to grow a relationship. One thing that's really helped us is if we'll also invite another family in the church at the same time. So if they, they, then they don't feel like they're getting interrogated or they have all the questions. It, it just relaxes the atmosphere a lot better. So I would encourage you to do that. Next time you have someone over to your house and you're, you want to get to know them, you want to build that relationship with them, and it's the first time, invite someone else over there too. 
And if you want to really take it up a little level, try to invite someone that you think might get along with them. So for instance, if it's a, a young family with kids, invite over another young family with kids and you can have that camaraderie. If it's a little bit of an older couple without kids, invite another older couple without kids. You can kind of play this matchmaker, so to speak, so you can grow these relationships in the church. These relationships, that's what's going to keep people coming. That's what's going to keep people diving into the Word, and that's what's going to keep people growing in their faith in Christ as they continually build bonds and relationships with other people around them. I think back about when I was first converted in, as a Christian. I was 21 at the time. This was right when I met Shannon. Before I had met Shannon, I was the wild child. I was in college. I was going out. All my friends, we did stuff we shouldn't do. And then I met Shannon, and she helped me, and she brought me in, and, and we had a five-part study with an elder there. And I, I obeyed uh, the gospel and baptism. And one thing I think about at that time was when I did that, I stopped living the old life. And by stop living the old life, my quote-unquote friends at the time, my peers, the people that were closest to me, they're gone. They wanted nothing to do with me because I changed my life. If I'm not going to go hang out and do the things with them, they weren't going to be there. That was a very pivotal moment in my life. And as a new Christian... That was going to be very difficult, except there was a great blessing that we had. This was at the church in Lubbock. There was a group of people there, that a group, a group of people about my age, kind of young college, college age, that they were meeting constantly and they were having Bible studies. They were going and hanging out with each other. They were going to games with each other. They were going hunting with each other. They were doing all these different things that I was interested in, and they pulled me in and welcomed me with open arms. Now here's the key. If they wouldn't have been there and done that for me and all of my quote-unquote friends deserted me and I didn't have someone to replace those relationships, what would have happened to me and my soul? Those relationships were incredibly important for me and I'm very thankful for them. And we have to remember as new Christians today, when they're coming in, sometimes their old relationships, they're going to desert them too. And they're going to desert them because they've changed their life. Now, if they want to have those relationships back, they can change their life back and go into the world of sin, or we can be there as their new brothers and sisters in Christ and bring them in, welcome them, love them, comfort them, encourage them to continue in growth. Replace those old relationships. So it's very, very important that we do that. If we look over in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and claim that which is good. We need to be loving these people. Help them. Make sure that we're bringing them in to the best of our ability. Use opportunities that you have to continually reach out to people, especially new Christians. That could be calls, texts, handwritten notes, drop by, go have lunch with them, spend time with them. Do whatever you can to spend time with these Christians. Encourage them and help them grow. And then the other thing that we can look at is, as Christians, we need to make sure that we're leading by example. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul had such confidence in his walk in Christ that he told people, follow after what I'm doing. And we need to be doing the same. We need to be living for Christ and doing things, putting it, put it into practice in our life so that when other people are seeing us, we can be their example of how they can walk closer to God. And we can influence them that way. Now, all of this that we've been talking about is, is we've been talking about building relationships, building influence, helping them in, in more ways than one. 
And remember, it's so that we can teach them to observe all things that Christ commanded. And if we look over in Titus chapter 2, we're going to read Titus chapter 2, and it tells us how you can teach these people. It says, But speak thou the things which become doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. Lead by example. Verse 3, That the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, that they that not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Paul is writing to Titus, and he's given us a lot of instruction of how we can teach people. Remember, it's lead by example and teach them to be better. Have expectations and accountability so that other people will grow with patience. One of the things that we have to always remember is when we're working with Christians, new Christians or old Christians, whoever we're working with, is for us to have patience and to meet them where they're at. Sometimes people haven't been taught the same way you've been taught. They haven't learned the same things that you've learned yet. So have patience with them as they're growing. Meet them where they're at and help them grow. Be gentle and have patience with them. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. When you're working with these Christians and you're helping them to observe all the things that Christ command, they might stumble. They might make a mistake. They might try to go back after old patterns of, of worldly things that they used to do. Have patience with them. Help them. Don't expect them to be perfect. When we're working with new Christians, sometimes we can get in this idea of now they've been baptized into Christ, now they're going to be a perfect Christian, they're going to follow after these things, and that's ridiculous. Not a single one of us are perfect Christians. So have patience with them and just help them grow where they're at. Take, take one step forward. It doesn't have to be ten steps forward. Just help them move a little bit forward in their walk with Christ. So fulfilling your role to teach people to, be God, to obey God's Word, number one, be influential. Number two, create a warm and welcoming environment. Number three, use hospitality as a, a great tool to grow relationships. Number four, continually reach out. Calls, texts, notes, emails, stop by, whatever it is. Five, lead by example. 
Six, teach others like we found out in Titus chapter 2. Number seven, meet them where they're at and help them grow. This is how we fulfill the role of teaching people to obey God's Word. So when we're looking at the Great Commission, we see that there's many opportunities for us to be working and how we can fulfill the Great Commission. Teach people to be baptized into Christ. Simple conversations. Lead them. Let them make their own decision to follow Christ. And we teach people to obey God's commandments and to obey the words of Christ for their own benefit and so that they can grow and they can be helpful and they can be influential to other people as well. One thing that we always have to remember, remember and when we're fulfilling the Great Commission is there's not a single one of us who can fulfill this Great Commission herself. Nobody can. That's why we need each other. We have the body of Christ that when we all work together, the Great Commission gets fulfilled. We can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 12. It says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not of the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again to the hand to the feet, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should be, have the same care one for another. There's a lot of verses there, and it's basically wrapped up in we all have a job to play. We all have a role to fulfill. And as we fulfill this role as our individual selves, that's how the Great Commission gets accomplished. When you don't fulfill your role, the whole body suffers. So we all need to be working together in order to fulfill our role. There's many different ways you can do it, like we've talked about this morning. But the key is you have to do it. You have to do your role so that Great Commission gets, gets accomplished. So here's my encouragement for you this morning. When we're working together to fulfill the role, fulfill your role and the Great Commission, number one, identify the talents God's given you. Every single one of us, we have unique talents. We have gifts. We have ways that we can help people, ways that we can make people feel comforted. We have ways we can teach people. Identify whatever talent God has given you to help people in the Great Commission. Number two, use those talents consistently. Make sure that it's consistently getting put into practice for the kingdom and for the growth of it. Number five, have at least five conversations to lead others to Christ. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was really cautious to put a number here on five conversations. But frankly, five conversations should be bare minimum. When we think about the conversations that we have to lead other people to Christ, how many people do you have in your everyday life? It's a lot. 
a lot of people that you have. Some identify as Christians, some I don't, don't identify as Christians. We've looked at examples this morning of how you can have these conversations. Don't care about the result. Don't care about what happens after that. Your job is to have those conversations. So have them. Number four, think about one skill that you would like to improve on and who can help you. What's something that you want to get better at? Maybe you want to get better at evangelizing. Maybe you want to get better at having these conversations. Maybe you want to get better at instructing people. Maybe you want to get better at hospitality. Whatever, these, whatever the skill it is that you want to improve, think about one skill that you want to get a little bit better at, and then with that, who can help you get better? Who models that behavior that you want to learn from and you can go spend time with, you can ask them questions, you can figure out how they do it effectively so you can get better in your own Christian walk. And then five, very important here, pray to see opportunities as they arise and be ready when they do. You know, Jesus taught us that the fields are white and they're ready for harvest. And we look out, there's over half a million people here just in northwest Arkansas in our area. The fields are white. The opportunities are there. And sometimes we pray for opportunities. And I think that that's a valid thing to pray for. And even more importantly, we know that the opportunities are already there. Let's pray that we see those opportunities. And when we see those opportunities, let's pray that God will give us the tools, He'll give us the courage, He'll give us the confidence, He'll give us whatever we need so that we're ready and we can take care of those opportunities. So pray that those opportunities are there and that you see them and that you be ready for them. So if there's anybody here this morning that you feel like you haven't been fulfilling your role in the Great Commission, I would encourage you, let's, let's do a little bit better. Let's work together. Let's help each other fulfill that role in the Great Commission because it's incredibly important that the kingdom grows, that souls are saved, that we can help people change their life and change their family trees forever. It may seem like it starts out small, but over time it has a massive, massive impact. And that's what we're called to do, is to be influential to the world. If you feel like you haven't been fulfilling your role in the Great Commission, then let's change that. Let's work together. Let's help each other. Let's do what we can to make sure that each one of us are doing our part in the body that we are fulfilling this role in the Great Commission. If you haven't been baptized into Christ, then the Great Commission hasn't applied to you yet. But it needs to be. You need to be baptized into Christ so you can start that walk with Him, so you can change your life, so you can, you can be, have remission of sins and you can follow after Him, and then you can go out and fulfill your role in the Great Commission as well. If you need to be baptized into Christ, I would encourage you to do that right now. Or if you need help from the church, if you need prayers, if you need assistance, whatever we can do to help you be the Christian and, and walk that life that we've been called to walk, then let us help you. Come have a seat on the front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.